Do it. Do it. Welcome to the Austin Otaku Podcast, hosted by Jesse McDonald and Keith Good. All right. So, why are we here today, Keith? What are, what are we doing? Well, that's a very existential question to ask on a Friday. Why are we here? <laughs> I don't know yet, and I'm 48. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're just a couple of guys that like to riff off of each other, and why the heck not record it? Yeah, right. I mean, so for those that don't know us, uh, I'm Jesse McDonald. This is my my good thunder buddy, Keith. Uh, and your good, uh, my, but your good thunder buddy, Roger that good buddy. Um, <laughs> and we, we've known each other for quite some time. We're both mm-hmm. in the same industry, obviously go to conferences together, live in the same town We're we're located in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. But about a year ago, we started working together and bringing the, our kind of general friendship hijinks into the mix, uh, some of our our office mates, our friends at work, were like, "Oh, you two riffing would just be the best podcast ever." Um, well, <laughs> guess what? They're going to regret it. They're going uh, to regret it, just like the rest of the people in the office who aren't our friends regret it. Oh yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> a lot of our office hates us, I would imagine. <laughs> so we decided after a year of working together, and now that we're in quarantine and don't see each other as much, uh, it might be fun to turn this into an actual thing and get off our butts and, and actually do it. So, you know, why not wait until quarantine and for me to have a kid and very little free time to go, let's record a podcast. Why not? So what we're thinking we're going to do, and this is a very experimental concept, uh, turn kind of the SEO podcast on its head a little bit and turn this into more of a, what, what's behind the people that actually do the digital marketing work? What, what's there? What so, Yeah, yeah. So the outside of the shop, what are we doing? And Keith and I have a lot of common interests. So it, this will be very easy for us to do. And we wanted to see if this would actually work in this format. So we're going to we're just going to talk about us a little bit and the things that we like and our hobbies and kind of what makes us us. Because at the end of the day, that does in some way inform the decisions we make in our jobs. But mm-hmm. we're not going to talk shop necessarily. We're just going to talk us. So uh, we thought, especially because this is probably the strongest common interest that we have other than Star Wars, but Keith would destroy me on that sort of knowledge. We thought we'd talk a little bit about our common interests in Japanese culture and anime. So, um, yeah, that's what we're going to do. And if this works, it'll become a thing. We don't have a title yet. It's going to be very Seinfeld-esque, not really about anything. There's a common theme, but it's going to go wherever it goes. Um it's going to so, meander like a creek. Oh, yeah, like a, a babbling brook. Like a babble. That's that, that is us. That's our podcast, The Babbling oh, Brook. Oh, The Babbling Brook. Oh, that's good. That <laughs> might have to become the title. Working title, <laughs> The Babbling Brook. Uh <laughs> so yeah, let's uh let's kind of start it out there. Yeah. Common interest being 
let's start with Japanese culture. Let's go uh, with Japanese culture, or uh, you know, we can talk about. I mean, you know, we we connect on so many levels. That's one of the the we are uh, we are the enneagram of, of friendship connection. <laughs> <laughs> our our Venn diagram meets in several places. <laughs> um, so Japanese culture itself, Keith, where where did that start for you? Well, what are your main interests? What what interests you the most about it, and kind of what got you interested? Yeah, I, this is something that's been with me since I was at least nine years old, um, and it it really kind of kicked off with the miniseries on NBC called Shogun, James Clavell's Shogun. They turned it Ooh. into I think a an eight part miniseries, um, and so every week I was glued to the television, you know, watching this this fascinating culture. So many, so many thousands of miles away. And, um, you know, it just kind of stuck with me. And then, of course, martial arts and then uh, ninja mania of the 80s hit. And um, I was obsessed with ninjas and samurai and martial arts. And I probably took 21 years of martial arts myself. Um, and it's, it's really just sort of stuck with me. I mean, it just it, it was a very consistent evolution Um I would say, and it's been with me ever since. So you'll see me constantly talking about anime, J dramas, some Japanese band that I'm listening to. My favorite author in the world is Haruki Murakami, who's a, well, he should be a Nobel winning author, but he's not <laughs> yet. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just been, been with me for a very long time. How about yourself? That's interesting. So mine, my interest started really late um in the 90s when i was probably about eight nine ten somewhere in there that's when cartoon network started up its toonami program which brought a lot of anime over into western culture uh so i remember coming home from school i think i was in like fourth grade something like that and dragon ball z being on and it absolutely blowing my mind, but I didn't know what it was other than, you know, this is just a cartoon that's a little more up there than, you know, your inspector gadget or something, something else like that, that I was watching at the time. I think I was really big into the show gargoyles, but I digress. Um, mm -hmm. So I remember those sorts of things being on, but I didn't really associate it with it being a, a cultural thing. So when you're Dragon Ball Z, Gundam Wing, uh, I very much denounced things like Sailor Moon and then the later evening programming like Cowboy Bebop and Outlaw Star. Those just didn't really work for me. So fast forward a few years later to 2004, where I start dating my girlfriend, now wife, Jennifer, uh, and she is just anime obsessed. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, like she is full blown Inuyasha Cowboy Bebop, Outlaw Star, everything that I was just not into other than Dragon Ball Z and Gundam Wing. So I decided to check it out a little bit. Still didn't really resonate with me until I started watching a show called Full Metal Alchemist. Now, that show for me just hit something that I can't really explain, but it just it made sense. It resonated. I liked it. My friend burnt me several data discs, I think it was like 15 data discs that included every single episode subtitled. Um, so I spent a lot of time just watching those on my laptop. Um, and this was before the show, it was on like episode five and I was already finishing it. Um, so I was really ahead of the curve and it just, it hit me. It, it felt right. It felt like a, an awesome show. So I started kind of delving more into anime and 
at night would watch Inuyasha and just whatever was on Cartoon Network or Adult Swim at the time. And it just became a thing for me. Um, so much so that I was, I got really big into Death Note when it came out and ended up passing on that to my father. Uh, because I remember growing up, he always had, you know, MTV on, but would watch, you know, the animated shows. Um, and I remember him always saying, you know, these are, these are cartoons for adults. Uh, so while they're cartoons, understand that they are not for kids, so I can't let you watch them. But I remember him watching, oh, just the, the weird MTV animated programming. And then I remember, I think, him watching Akira when I was a kid. So I just remember those things being around. So he got into Death Note with me hmm. uh, and we watched it together. We were even joking the other day, and this was like 16 years ago, something like that. We're talking about how you know, we need to have a death note marathon soon. Cause it's been so long since either one of us watched it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it just kind of became a thing in my life. And then as I you know, was graduating high school, going into college, that, that interest started turning into more of like an interest in Japanese culture kind of became my, my crutch for a little while. I uh, started moving more into kind of that Weabu territory, which got a little out of hand for me. So I kind of denounced it for a while and stopped watching stuff just because it became more of an obsession. Uh, and then kind of picked it up again a few years ago when I started kind of being a little bit more what I would say my adult self where I was comfortable in the things that I liked. I had a career. Uh, so I, I felt good about bringing things back into my life without them turning into full life obsessions. Uh, and started, you know, learning Japanese just as a, a fun hobby. So that's an on and off hobby that I do every now and then and very much want to, you know, go to Japan. My plan is to teach my daughter Japanese as she's growing up. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of been an evolution over time that got a little out of hand for a while, but now has been a more healthy place. So, yeah, that, that's kind of it for me. Yeah. Yeah. Now, it's, it's really interesting because you and I both grew up in, in the South. I don't know how rural you were. Uh, I was but in I was cities. Yeah, I was I was more I was near Asheville, but I was more rural. I was way out in the countryside. And part of me wonders why, you know, if, if perhaps some of this obsession is is the sort of general homogeneity of, of the cultures that we grew up in and how, you know, we you know, seeing something so absolutely alien to what we grew up around might have you know been part of that fascination. I, I certainly uh, know that was more than likely the case for me because um, I grew up in, in, a, in an extremely homogenous uh, area. <laughs> that I, I think the first black person I ever saw was when I was in college, most likely, or maybe high school. I think we maybe high school. Uh, so this was not an area of of the U.S. that was was known to have very different people. And so, you know, seeing these, um, uh, you know, I don't know what was that seventeenth century samurai. In, uh, in in Shogun probably really hit a nerve with me because I, I hadn't seen anything like that before. But it, it is it is really interesting psychologically, you know, um, where that drive for escapism comes from, uh, and 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 what the, the root sources of that might be. Not that this is a psychology show, but it could be. <laughs> See, that's really interesting for me. Uh, the first 12 years, 11 or 12 years of my life were spent in Jackson, Mississippi, which is a huge, pretty huge city. Uh, it's the capital of Mississippi. Think, I think it's in the top 10 biggest cities in the country. I can't really remember. Uh, but like my school was 2% white. 
So uh, I I got picked on quite a bit for being a white kid at school. Um, so I mean, I I don't know if it was the cultural homogeny that that was it for me, but I do remember when Dragon Ball Z came out and everyone being so obsessed with it, and I could draw Dragon Ball Z characters at least decent. Mm-hmm. I remember that almost being a social acceptance point for me. Nice. So that might have actually been it for me. That's that's interesting. I've never thought of that up until now. Huh. Um, but yeah, yeah, I remember I remember that being uh, somewhat of like, hey, that kid can draw DBZ characters. Draw this. Draw this. And and almost feeling accepted about it. Now Gundam Wing, no one gave a shit about that other than me. So uh, <laughs> that didn't end up helping very much. But so I built my models by myself. Uh, but yeah, I think the DBZ might've been some level of social acceptance for me as a kid. That might be a part of it. Hey, we've broken some psychological ground here. We've made a breakthrough. (laughs) And now a word from our sponsors. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Like that'll ever happen. Uh, (laughs) What is the, uh, what is the virtual counseling that you can go to now? That's, that's like become a really big thing during the, the COVID crisis. Oh, I don't know. I, I keep hearing it on podcasts and like, I'll have to get the name of them, you know, and say, hey, if you would like to sponsor a podcast between two humans babbling, please uh, hit us up. Twitch, uh, PlayStation, uh, Funimation, whatever. Hit us up. We we want your money. Crunchyroll. Oh, Crunchyroll for sure. We all want your money. Yeah. The new season starts on Crunchyroll, of course. Yeah. Uh, It's just started. Uh, It is a season of Fanosabas, as the Japanese would call it, for sure. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it's very um it's it's really interesting to see um some seasons that come out with anime you know in in the anime sphere um are really really good and they don't necessarily have to rely on the old tropes of sort of mm-hmm. fan service and moe and a lot of the other things that if you if you really look at it or can be kind of creepy and i and i see you know when people aren't fans of animes i understand i get it because yeah oftentimes they'll see probably what what we consider the worst aspects of anime um where it's like oh yeah that is kind of creepy but if you watch this show it doesn't have that or it has a very limited amount of that moe sort of like big brother protecting the little sister thing but yeah, yeah. we've got uh We've got sort of this um, misfit of of the demon high school coming out, and this is sort of this. I don't know if his fan service is, except that he is surrounded by by female uh, characters, uh, so it is a bit of a harem. Uh, but he is an overpowered um, guy going to a demon high school, and he is uh, he is uh, he claims to be the reincarnation of the demon lord uh, from many centuries ago, and so like everybody that tries to challenge him uh, gets immediately defeated. And, uh, you know, he's like, well, you can't be because I'm the Demon Lord. Uh, then you've got the, what the God of High School, which is an interesting, um, it's an interesting show because it is a Japanese animation, I think based on a Korean manga, if I'm not oh, mistaken. Interesting. Uh, so the animation is really, really odd by comparison to normal anime. The noses are weird. The ears are weird. And that's just as a design, <laughs> as a design guy, you watching that show, I guarantee you, you'll write, you'll, you'll text me back and you go, yeah, these these noses and ears are weird. Um, but you can definitely tell the difference. But again, it's one of these sort of like, you know, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't quite call it a shonen anime because um, shonen, which means basically means boy in, in Japanese, but it, the style of anime 
that is shown in anime sort of rests on the premise of there is a kid who discovers he's got a, a power of some sort and he has to, you know, fight increasingly more difficult bosses in order to improve his power and protect his family or save the world or whatever may be. Dragon Ball Z is a great example of a shonen anime. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, the, uh, but so, but this guy's already sort of already overpowered uh, as it is. So I don't really know if this is just more violence. I don't know. Is if it like a it one punch man? Not quite that. Not quite one punch. <laughs> one paman. Um, <laughs> but you know, it, I, I think that's it is sort of that fantasy of like, okay, what would be what would happen if I was like this total you know, badass yeah. and I was able to kick a lot of people's butts at at, um, at, at any given time. Then there's Monster Girl Doctor. That just should tell you straight away that is a fully nothing but fan service anime. Monster Girl <laughs> Doctor, um, and of course it's it's a it's a guy who's a doctor to a bunch of monster girls, um, and um, he's apparently oblivious to the fact that there's something you know potentially sexual going on. He's just there to do his job, and he's an honorable young man. And of course the women are falling all over him. So it's like a Tenchi Muyo, but a doctor. But a doctor, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but a doctor, and then of course you've got the uh, the, um, the latest episode of that time I got reincarnated as a slime, which is a sort of a combination. Oh, uh, you told me about this at work one day. Oh yeah, it's 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 a fun anime. It it is very much a fantasy driven anime though, because it's it's got the it's got everything. It's got harem. It's got moe. Uh, it's got fighting uh, as as an overpowered being, uh, so to speak, and so. Uh, Sometimes when I look at these animes, I, I question myself. <laughs> I'm like, why am I watching this? And sometimes I'll watch them for about two, uh, two episodes before I realize this is just not going to keep my attention or I'm just, I'm yeah. not, I'm not in MOA mood this season. So I'm not going to watch this anime. Uh, but yeah, we, so, we, we've seen some really good ones. Demon Slayer in the past few seasons. I was about fantastic. to bring up Demon Slayer. This is something that I believe when I started work, at IBM a year ago, so I'm a little yeah. over my year mark. Uh, you had mentioned it to me because I I have a background in design, so you were like, "Oh, you'll really appreciate this art style." Yep. But I don't typically follow seasons of anime like you do. I I'm more of a you know whenever it catches my attention, I'll I'll watch it when I can. Um, and I I kind of took the opportunity to be on parental leave for three months to kind of play a little catch up with some stuff. So as I would take care of my daughters, I would feed her or change her or whatever. I'd have a show on and demon slayer was that show for me. Uh, mm -hmm. And my God, that recommendation was out of the park, man. That show mm -hmm. is fantastic. I'm sad that it is not continuing at the moment due to the pandemic. Yeah. Um, sad. But I mean, that's one that I'm thinking about even picking up the manga. I liked it so much. Uh, yeah. It's, it's insanely good so and that, and that's a, a perfect example of a shonen anime you know this is yes. a guy who was sort of oblivious to this world of demons before his family was attacked and killed um and then suddenly he found himself in a position of having to avenge his family and and sort of help his sister and at the same time, um, grow stronger to fight these increasingly stronger demons as it is. So that, <laughs> that's, that is the formulaic shown in anime. But sort of the twist on that is that the story is quite compelling uh, compared to a lot of other shown in anime. And the and as you mentioned, the artistry and, and the, the design 
throughout that anime is just incredibly beautiful and eye-catching and uh, probably unlike anything I've seen in any other anime prior. I, I completely agree. I think it's one of the best examples of using CG in an anime that I've seen so far because you have things like the newer berserk show which is absolutely horrendous and you only watch it because they finally started to make something that's not the golden age arc uh and yet it is just the worst looking show ever um but then you have something like demon slayer where it's it's traditional animation but then it throws in the cg twist that is Mm -hmm. perfectly executed and almost seamless it's it's awesome Yep, yeah. Kimetsu Kimetsu no Yaiba is the Japanese uh name for that show, which means Demon's Blade for anyone wondering. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yes. Uh mm. I I looked it up whenever I was watching it. I was like, what the hell does that mean? Mm-hmm, uh mm-hmm. so threw that in there and I I believe if I'm remembering correctly it means Demon's Blade or probably Blade of Demons, something like that. So So since you you've been kind of a an anime fan for probably a, a, quite a bit longer than me, what what would you say is your favorite era, even of anime, and what's your favorite anime itself? Hmm, it's really tough to say because each era has its own strengths. Um, you know, you've already mentioned one of my favorite animes, De- uh, uh, Death Note, um, and Death Note is is was happened in a time that happened to have quite a number of very good animes that came out. That was a good era uh, then because I I think they finally started to embrace the idea that the Shinya anime or the late night anime um, could really delve into some adult issues and um, have a compelling story that adults could relate to rather than just being something that a high school student or a middle yeah. school student would, would, would want to stay up and watch, which they probably wouldn't because they're so obsessed with making sure they're at school on time, according to all the animes that we watched. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, the Shinya anime, uh, allows, uh, animation studios to really get into a lot more, um, uh, not only horrific and violent, but also very touching uh, animes as well. So I, I remember um, Kyo Ani, uh, who unfortunately had that fire uh, arson uh, during a work day um, last year. And I think they just uh, memorialized the anniversary of that that uh, fire for Kyoto Animation. So Kyo Ani uh, had uh, a series of uh, shows, uh, one of which was Clanad and Clanad After Story, which if you watch those shows and you don't cry, I want to ask <laughs> you why you're not a human and how you, how you, how you were able to be a robot and not, uh, not get caught. It's the anime uh, version of Steel Magnolias. I, yeah. I mean, ugly crying <laughs> anime. This is, you just ugly cry at the anime, especially Clanad After Story. Ugh. anyway. So, heard. But yeah. Oh yeah. So I, I, I I don't recommend you watch it because you're just going to be like a, a blubbering mess. We're like, oh, this is so sad. Um, but then, um, you know, this was part of that whole, you know, Shinya anime that uh, allowed them to, you know, have a heart and sort of have yeah. you not only dig into the horrific and terrible stories, but also the very heartwarming and heart touching and, you know, tragic uh animes as well so and i think because of that we're now in an era where we can see really cool animes uh, that that come out as part of the shinya late night anime series yeah um 
and, uh, well, and we can appreciate that. And and while series got a little bit more mature around that time, the 2004 to 2009 era of anime is really when things started becoming like more visually appealing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the old school stuff like Bebop and Dragon Ball Z. So the mid to late 90s for us, late 80s to early 90s for Japan was was an excellent style really good uh and i typically gravitate more towards that style but it became so much more visually appealing for the masses in the the early mid 2000s um with shows like death note and and things like that that ended up being adapted to to american audiences you know through programs like adult swim very quickly um it, it was interesting to watch that shift and it happened quick Mm-hmm. It happened mm-hmm. very quickly. Um, it's it's evolved quickly in general as as an accessible industry for the United States. I mean, if you think about it, in in that time during the, in the in the nineties, well, actually not in the nineties, but certainly in the two thousands, the way you watched anime was you torrented it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you uh, you spent all night downloading a file that you then sort of probably had to uh, patch together and and watch as a whole, you know. And um, I myself have torrented a number of shows in my time but here we are we got into the teens the mid-teens especially and and you got uh you got crunchyroll as a streaming service that you could watch online which then hooked in through chromecast and a few other uh possibilities like you know i guess apple tv might have one um and now and now this anime is being released on amazon prime hulu netflix um and hbo max uh for example um, and so, you know, we, we've seen just in a very short period of time, uh, amazing transformation and availability of these animes. Yeah. And HBO Max is a really, really good segue to something I was going to bring up. What, what are your feelings in relationship with something like a studio Ghibli? I say Ghibli. Uh, are you a Ghibli guy or a Ghibli guy? I'm a don't really know, so I won't have a strong opinion guy. <laughs> <laughs> but what's your what's your feelings on on more of that Hayao Miyazaki type animation and specifically his work? His work is, is, is you know what? he I, I appreciate his work ethic as a human being because uh, you would always hear stories about how people would come in late at night and he'd still be there working his ass off. And mm-hmm. even after retirement, he'd show up and work, you know? Um, and so that level of commitment and, and dedication to his craft uh, is certainly admirable. And I think a lot of his, uh, his films are are really good. I, some of his, I've seen some of his son's work. I'm not mm, as impressed yeah. with them. Um, and, uh, you know, and I, and I think that probably is just that, I, I think the father probably had a much richer history, uh, which at the same time might have been a little twisted, to, to be frank, because he absolutely as much Western influence as he had on his uh, uh, had in his animes. Um, he wasn't terribly, terribly fond of Western culture in general, oh, not at all. especially the United States. Um, so, you know, uh, you you can tell there was some sort of history there with with. Uh, Miyazaki um and he's um you know but uh I think because of that history he was able to create some very compelling stories um and I I appreciate the work that he he did even if he doesn't like me as a as an American (laughs) (laughs) see and that's interesting to me because I'm wondering if it might be a generational thing or what 
because I remember um, Jackson Public Schools. Uh, so, you know, not the best education in the world. Teachers would kind of, nah, whatever. It's Friday. Bring in a movie and we'll watch it sort of a thing. I remember one day this one girl and she was the weird girl in class. She had her boogers and stuff. So <laughs> no one really took her seriously because uh, we were just mean kids. I remember um, remember she brought in what I found out was my neighbor Totoro. And I remember mm-hmm. it was raining like crazy outside and we watched it. And I mean, realistically, at the end of the day, that's a really dry movie. Mm-hmm. If you watch that, that is a dry kids movie. And it's really, <laughs> it deals with a lot of stuff. You're dealing with kids and their dad, two, two little girls and their dad moving across the country to be closer to their mom. Who's in the hospital and possibly dying uh, as kind of the main plot of the story but then at the same time there's this adventure in the new house they find what they think is spirits they find those spirits lead them to this magical chunk of a forest where there's this what they call a tree spirit and he's this giant cat and they're relating to him and then there's a bus that's made out of a cat and there's all sorts of craziness that goes on but i remember that really being interesting to me as a I think this was second grade. So, you know, I was in single digits at that time as far as age goes. Mm-hmm. But I remember that hitting me and, and eventually getting a VHS copy myself and watching it all the time and it, it resonating with me. So then eventually in my teen years, when I got into anime, started watching more things like Spirited Away, which is a fantastic film. Mm-hmm. Uh, Howl's Castle, Ponyo, Princess Mononoke. Yeah all those things. So those have been really big in my life and a part of my love for animation simultaneously. Now that they're on HBO max, other than I do own the Blu-rays back here somewhere Mm -hmm. and and I still collect physical media. uh, Streaming can't last forever, folks. You're you're, Um, you're very hip. (laughs) It's that, that entryway into being a curmudgeon. Um, (laughs) But it's, it now being so widely available on a streaming service, I'm beyond excited that I get to show my daughter when she's a little bit older, these films, which you can kind of equate to the Japanese version of Disney films. Hmm. But at the same time, they, one of the main tropes of a Miyazaki film is a strong heroine. The the Mm -hmm. main protagonist of his films is usually a female that has to overcome some adversity and she does it with very little aid from anyone. Uh, so it's it's got this subtext that's usually very positive. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to have that in her life. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I mean, you get that from a lot of Disney films, but still it has an American twist on it, which I tend to feel is probably a little more jaded and has some masculine tendencies to it, which I guess could be fine, but... Miyazaki it also comes across as a little, yeah. The the American uh, films come across as a little disingenuous sometimes too. Yeah, yeah for um, sure. And and still even a little judgmental. Whereas you know, um, and, and dare I say, slightly sexualized. Whereas you yeah. get into um, you get into Mononoke Hime, for example, Princess Mononoke, and there is not a there there isn't that sexual tension there. It she's a badass wolf girl 
Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. She is bloodthirsty and she doesn't mind getting her hands dirty. And you know, this is, um, uh, she actually know, saves a male character in that she, movie. Yeah. She saves a male character in that movie. It's uh, great. It's wonderful. And she doesn't even like him. She's just like, I don't even, I don't even like you. But and I'm through like you. the whole movie, she doesn't like him, and he kind of <laughs> is more of the main character. But she comes in, hates him, saves yep. him, and continues yep. to hate him. Yep. It's great. It's fantastic. Yeah. So I, I, I feel like uh, the Japanese are a bit ahead in that respect. They're, they're a bit behind when you get into the moe and the uh, harem animes. Um, <laughs> you know, we all have our weaknesses. There's so much that I think that we can learn um, and grow in our lives in. And, um, I, you know, I'd say that, um, the, the strong female character though, I think has been with the Japanese culture for a very long time. Um, in, uh, samurai culture, the, uh, the samurai were often forced to, um, spend time in the capital with their, their daimyo, their, their regional governors, um, uh, and then go back out into the countryside. Um, now in, in the uh, Tokugawa era of, of that time, the daimyo were forced to make their families live separate from them. So they either lived out in the country under under um, guard of the Tokugawa uh, uh, soldiers, or they lived in the capital. Um, and so they weren't always with their husbands. And as a result, a lot of these women had to uh, had to become warriors themselves in order to protect wherever they were. So uh, the uh, Naginata, the very long spear became the tool of, of the female samurai warrior. Uh, there's also, of course, um, I said this when um, Aleda was talking about being an SEO ninja earlier this week, I'm like, well, how about an SEO Kunoichi? And the Kunoichi was a specifically uh, trained female ninja uh, uh, during medieval times. And, and so these strong female warrior characters are, are nothing new to, uh, to Japanese culture at all. Whereas I feel like they get sort of uh, very, I mean, you, you'll get the occasional female warrior in, uh, in, in Western culture that there, apparently there were female Vikings. Um, oh yeah. And, uh, but we're just now discovering this, by the way, it wasn't something that we talked a lot of, about for centuries. Yeah. Uh, and you know, you didn't really have a lot of this, you know, women you know, dressing in drag and going out to war, except for ha- perhaps, you know, Joan of Arc, but the, the stories are, they're they're here and there. They're they're very very few and far between. Whereas in Japanese culture, it was quite common. It was it was it was a common yeah. thing to have a strong woman who will kick the crap out of you, <laughs> and rightfully so. Uh, white men especially deserve to have the crap kicked out of So one element of Japanese culture that I think I tend to sway a little bit more towards, uh, where you necessarily don't, would be manga. What mm. what are your feelings on manga? I still have the, the patience for it, I guess. I mean, I, I have so many other reading um, tasks that, that I involve myself in. I'm very much into, I always have a fiction and a nonfiction book open uh, at any given time. Uh, so, um, but to, and even with American comics, like I'll get them, but I still have a stack of the new X-Men series uh, that I haven't even cracked open yet. Um, just because... I feel like I need to dedicate time to that, but then I don't have time because I'm working on other reading uh, things. Uh, I have read other manga though. 21st century boys or 20th century boys was a great manga series. Very much enjoyed that. Um, 
I've read a number of the Bleach uh, manga. Uh, I just found that I didn't like it as much as I enjoyed the animes. You know, of course, interesting. That, um, yeah, I did, that's just you know, it's, it's not it's not a hate. It's just that I didn't like it as much. So stick with what you like. <laughs> so I think I go the other direction, uh, where I prefer manga over anime. So uh, another thing I've been doing through quarantine is actually reading through Bleach. Uh, behind me, I have a giant bookshelf of manga, which is mostly Naruto and Bleach with some things sprinkled in like uh, Bakuman, Death Note, Helsing, a little bit of uh, Akira uh, and Yotsuba. Yotsuba is great. Mm. Uh, but oh, wait, Yotsuba is the little girl with the green hair. Yes. Made yes. by okay, the I'm... lady that made uh, Azumanga Daioh. Ah, I loved Azumanga Daioh. That is a Azumanga is great. Anime. But I really got into them, you know, hard and heavy when I was going into college. So I had, you know, my first job. Uh, I didn't have any, you know, rent or financial responsibilities, really, because I worked like a mile or two away from my parents' house where I stayed for the, my community college years. So I would waste a bunch of money on comic books uh, and mostly American comic books, which were cool. I still love American comics, but I'm so far behind that it's almost pointless at this point. <laughs> but the comics industry is always in a, a state of, you know, ebb and flow. So comics just became so expensive. I think they're mm -hmm. $3.99, $4.99 now. If you can buy them, uh, most of them have moved online during the pandemic. Yeah. So, I mean, a 22-page book for $3.99, really tough to sway as a, a kid that, you know, at that point I was making six bucks an hour working 20 hours a week. And I thought that was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. um, so I would much rather spend nine bucks, seven to $9 to get a hundred something page manga. Mm -hmm. So I started really devoting a lot of my comic efforts to, I think it was basically Naruto. So I have the entire first run of Naruto, which is 27 issues. So 27 volumes of that and was absolutely hooked. I hated that show when it came out in 04, <laughs> 05. I thought it was ridiculous. The kids wearing their damn headbands around all the time. I thought it was the worst. But yeah. I, I got into the, the manga and I got it. It made sense to me. I wore a headband for a while after that. It was stupid. I really regret it. That's when I had to cut, <laughs> cut it off. Um, but I mean, and it's, it's still great. It, I watched the show and the show is good. Um, but total, the show is like over a thousand episodes. Yeah. It's, it's one of the longest running anime out there. Plus you've, you've got the, the um, various extensions of the show, which include Naruto, Naruto Shippuden, um and now boruto and now there's boruto which is his son yeah um but Shippuden alone is 700 episodes yeah and yeah. most of that's filler which is what i hate uh so same thing with bleach i really didn't like it when it came out yeah i took a chance on a three-in-one volume that had the first you know three volumes of the manga in it and love it um yeah. the, the manga is insanely good but yeah, the, when i I can never keep my attention on the anime. No, the the anime really. Um, I I think I I want to say to the Japanese producers of media and entertainment, don't be like us. Don't 
don't be like America because we do things like we run. And you and I had this this conversation on text uh, this past month when I rewatched The Big Bang Theory from start to finish. Same. I did the exact same thing. And I grew to absolutely hate that show because after season six, I kept asking how much longer can this go? It needs to stop. And I think one of the things that American producers do is they say, oh, we've got something here. People really like this. Let's milk the hell out of it. Let's milk it until it bleeds and then milk it for some more after that. And so what we get is we get a 12 season Big Bang Theory that really could have been six seasons and everybody would have left it and loved it and thought of it as this is the best part of my 20s, 30s, whatever, and and uh, and been fine with it. But no, the American producers want to market and and sell it as much as they can. The Japanese started doing the same things when they found out how people loved Bleach and they loved Naruto. And they started like building in these filler episodes to keep because what they would do is they were, would produce the show. And then they would run out of original manga material and then have to wait for the next run of m- mangas from the from the artists. Um, in the meantime, they would uh, offshore to Korea or Vietnam um, the production of filler episodes where the, the main character goes off on a, on a new quest in a different time zone in a different world altogether. And 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 that's and, if you're lucky. Naruto filler, it, it literally disregards the main story altogether. So there's a point where Naruto and his best friend Sasuke, which are the two main points of the story, they end up getting in this huge fight. Sasuke runs off. Mm-hmm. Cool. Whatever. That's the end of the Naruto manga. Then there's like another hundred episodes where they're still bumming around, palling around like nothing ever happened. So if you <laughs> don't read the manga, you're like, wait, what in the hell is going on? Yeah, uh, it's ridiculous. It's crazy. Uh, Shippuden is just as bad, mm-hmm. but they at least tie it in a little more. They do what they call mixed filler in it, mm-hmm. where there's like, you know, 50% actual main story going on. And then another 50% is just random crap in the episode that doesn't matter. But yeah, it's 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 crazy. I get it, though, because they want it to keep going, especially how popular it is. And Japanese culture is very quick. If something's not working, they'll shut it down. So a manga artist, uh, especially one that has Rinsai, which is when a manga goes weekly, it's so popular. If it declines in popularity, they'll just cancel it straight Mm -hmm. up, right Mm -hmm. out of the gate. Uh, uh, Kishimoto uh, Masashi, who does Naruto, now that it's done and Boruto's kind of more of a, he does the story, someone else does the art, I believe. He tried to do another manga in Weekly Shonen Jump. It got canceled like after a year, maybe. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, even someone like him who's been going since 99, not safe. Yeah. Um, so th- it's definitely it's, a culture of it. It's not working. Get rid of it. Yeah, absolutely. And and one of the ways they can head that off and one of the ways they can sort of prevent that from happening is is to just have a story they want to tell and then tell it and then be done with it. And what I've found is that a lot of my favorite anime and favorite J-dramas, uh, for that matter, had a specific run. They ran 12 to 24 episodes. And they Same. got their story told and they were done. And I was happy because it ended on a, on a note that made sense. Yeah. And when they, they get into a situation where they've got to get rid of a show because it stopped being popular, they've got to find a really awkward way for it to end. And, yeah. you know, uh, <laughs> let me, let me think about some American shows that did that. I mean, how many, how many people loved the ending to lost, for example, <laughs> how, many, 
How many people love the way Game of Thrones ended? I mean, so the, these are shows that they ended in a very awkward way and they didn't have to if they had just stuck, had a story they wanted to tell, stuck to it and ended it in, in an appropriate fashion. But no, Our current version that. of the timeline uh, community joke, if uh, any community fans out there. <laughs> Uh, our current version of the timeline, which truly might be the darkest timeline, mm -hmm. uh, all TV shows must be written by Stephen King because the endings are just not there. <laughs> um, so a little bit of a segue, and this for me personally relates to Death Note. Um, you and I both, uh, in our own way, are big fans of Japanese music. Mm -hmm. uh, it became a, a huge thing for me during my college years. Uh, I remember watching death note and hit that second season and we went from the 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 kind of normal j poppy j rocky sort of vibrato song by the band nightmare mm -hmm. which i've never been a fan of but <laughs> then all of a sudden you get smacked in the face with a song called what's up people by the band maximum the hormone which mm -hmm. everyone should check out if you're willing to try something new mm -hmm. and it blew my damn mind mm -hmm. and they became very quickly one of my favorite bands in the world and i started exploring you know way more japanese music especially you know because japan when they make animation so anime uh they they put a big focus on intros and outros per seasons mm -hmm. and they they don't make their own you know stupid music like we do in america it's looking at you pokemon um but they they use actual bands and sometimes the bands even make music specifically for the show itself so that through shows that i watched like full metal alchemist death note you know, things like that i found bands that i still love today like asian kung fu generation durin gray uh maximum the hormone uh larkin seal uh, rookies is punked <laughs> one oak rock uh lisa who lisa's was good Lisa's fantastic. And I think she's made a boatload of money just from being popular with anime fans. Oh, from Sword Art Online alone. Now throw her into Demon Slayer. Mm -hmm. Ooh, she's just doing fantastic or has to be. If she's not, something's wrong. Mm -hmm. But then, I mean, you get even more up and coming bands like, well, they're not anymore. They're an older band now, but Uberworld and now oh, bands yeah. like Kanaboon who have been on. Boruto, Naruto, Gundam Build Fighters, you know, they've done tons. But it's it's a really easy way to get into to music from Japan. Uh what what is your relationship with Japanese music? Let's start there. Um, you know what? I I am a fan uh I am a fan of, of music. I'm a fan of music. There we go. Uh <laughs> <laughs> same another um, one of our interests that we share yes i like music you like money we should hang out um <laughs> you know the, the the thing i like about the japanese um music that's coming out specifically about the the the, the ops and the eds from animes um i i think what they do is they they have a mood that they want to capture with a song and they know what the chord progression should be through the song in order to get to that mood, to get to that crescendo that makes you sort of really, really um, embrace whatever the mood is that the anime has been trying to capture. So Lisa's fantastic for action uh, related um, anime. Uh, she's got that really strong 
female voice with vibrato and and just really strong um, um, emotional uh, means of, of singing, uh, whereas other OPs and EDs uh, were very mellow. I'm thinking of um, oh, there was um, I'm suddenly blanking on on the anime where it was a it was a country uh, doctor that would he walked around he had white hair and he was missing one eye. Uh, and he he helped remove spirits from people. Oh, um, I know what you're talking about. But all of the all of the uh, the ops and eds for that show were very mellow and they're very emotional because there was always an emotional story behind how this person got sick and how how that their sickness has affected people around them. Um, but that's one of the things I've always really appreciated about uh, the, the the Japanese songs. The other side of it is. Techni- the, the technical side of a song, because you can listen to a song uh, from Maximum the Hormone or One Ock Rock, and you can hear those guitars in the background and the drums in the background, and you're like, "That now that is talent," because <laughs> you you hear the way they are hitting the notes, the precision with which they are hitting the notes, the rapidity uh, with with which they are they are string you know hitting those strings, and you're like, "That is a hell of a guitarist," or "That is a hell of a drummer," and so. I respect them on those two different levels is they know how to build the, to the crescendo to get the emotional response that they want. And they are technically some of the best musicians in the world, I would say. Well, and I think the other thing that, you know, sometimes people that are into Japanese music will tend to bring up is that here in, in America, Western culture in general, you, you want to put everything into a box. So genre labeling is, is huge. Uh, if we had the rest of the day, I could probably rattle <laughs> off a ton of different subgenres of metal and, and rock and, you know, even hip hop. But in Japan, it's just constant genre bending. Mm-hmm. So something like Maximum the Hormone, there's obviously the elements of metal, but then they bring in like poppy elements and elements of ska and punk. And mm-hmm. it's, they're just all over the place. And then their main singer will, you know, rap sometimes. Like it's mm-hmm. crazy. Then you have, you know, bands like Baby Metal, where they're very much into idol culture, but have the metal backing. Um, so, I mean, they're not afraid to to play around and experiment, and they do it successfully. Whereas here, you get a band that, you know, they're really in their groove. Maybe, bad example, but let's say Metallica made a pop out. Hey, their Lou Reed album, the Lulu album. No one gave a shit about it because it tried something different. And granted, it's not a good album. Let's just throw that out there so it doesn't even do it well but there's, <laughs> how many metallica no, fans talk about load and reload right anyway dude i grew up on load and reload i kind of like them <laughs> but <laughs> lulu man you throw lou reed into the mix and it just becomes this weird thing but they tried something different if they would have been a japanese band and tried to do that it probably would have worked but mm-hmm. they would have had years of building off of that instead of being a thrash metal band that tried to bring Lou Reed into the mix. Yeah. I I have nothing against bands that are trying to sort of, um, they're trying to update the sound and they're trying to move the musical genre in a specific direction. But, you know, I I do feel like the Japanese tend to, to do it quite well. Um, They are, I will say this, I will say they are fast. They are some of the, the best fast followers in the world. So you, you'll get a, a band like, one o'clock rock by the way the name of that band comes from the fact that the studios in shinjuku would open up um would open up reservations for bands to play in the studios for free after one o'clock in the morning and so one o'clock 
is a is a a Japanese uh, play on the on the word one o'clock. Um, uh, and so the but anyway, so you have a band like one one o'clock rock that came out and they were really popular in Japan at the time. The sound that they had, though, was about a year and a half or two years behind other bands here in the States. Yeah. Uh, but they did it exceedingly well. Uh, and I think probably better than what we 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 had here uh, in, in many ways. Um, you know, Screamo happened after Screamo <laughs> happened here. You know, uh, yeah. you, you had Duran Gray uh, five to six years after Marilyn Manson, you know. Um, yeah, you say- maybe. I think officially Duran Gray's first album came out in like 2000, 2001. So, I mean, yeah. yeah, five, six years after Manson, but they were around before because they were very much a visual K band starting out. Oh, yes. I starting mean, out, still they were very... visual K, which is not at all like what they became. No, um, they're a metal <laughs> band now. They're just a straight up badass metal band. They just right. redid, they put out an album last year, I think, and it's finally up on Spotify because someone opened up the floodgates and finally let Japanese music onto Spotify finally. in the U.S. Um, there's still not enough ex Japan though, so make that happen, whoever you are. Um, but Duran Gray released an album where they re recorded some of their old songs because some of their old songs were a little bit more tame in comparison, and they're just straight metal songs now. It's mm-hmm. insane, uh, it's awesome. So, um, I think we're, we're kind of hitting that point, man. We're like right yeah. at that hour mark, right at the uh, hour mark, yeah. Can you think of anything else that you really wanted to talk about regarding Japanese culture that interests you? You know, not not in particular. Uh, there there were some rumors floating around this week uh, or past couple of weeks that some and I hate rumors, by the way, I hate I hate industry rumors coming out of Hollywood that Disney was going to retcon the sequels uh, for for Star Wars because they had just had had sort of fallen so flat with the fans uh and the only good rumors is the fleetwood mac album (laughs) exactly yeah i agree agree with that um but uh you know i i I was thinking that you know if they were if they were in fact going to retcon the the sequels uh in star wars so in other words uh the force awakens through um the rise of skywalker um (laughs) that the best that the best people to be involved with that would either be dave filoni who was responsible for the Mandalorian uh, and the Clone Wars, uh, as well as John Favreau, of course, um, or hand it over to a Japanese animation studio and have them have them give it a proper treatment. That would be interesting. I could get into that. Um, yeah. One other thing that I was going to bring up, um, and you might even want to put this on your radar, but I know that you have a hard time with this: video games. Um, so <laughs> there. Yeah, I, I, I don't have a hard time with it. I just have a I I can't sit for for terribly long, so I end up putting a lot of stuff on pause, getting up and walking around and coming back. So there's a new one coming out, and I think it might be a PlayStation exclusive. So you might not even be able to give this a shot since you're an Xbox guy. Um, but Ghost of Tsushima, it is a samurai game. Hmm. Uh, it's based in you know medieval samurai era. You're you've you've lost this war. And you're going after the invading Mongolians to mm. kind of get payback. And they, they call you the ghost. And you have the option to fight honorably. So approach, bow, fight, bow at the end. Or you can go in for the sneaky bastard stealth kills type of a thing. Really 
really cool visual game. You should check it out. It comes out, I think, next week. But at the same time, uh, it's very much inspired by, you know, Japanese samurai cinema. So like the the Kurosawa type stuff, uh, and the Toshiro Mifune. Uh, and I believe it has a mode in it where it goes black and white and adds green to it so Ooh. that it looks like a, a samurai film. So something nice. to check out. Definitely something on my uh, my otaku radar that I will be participating in next week once it comes out. Well, while you do that, I'll focus on watching the actual uh, Tashiro Mifune uh, movies. That's always uh, a, that's always a good way to spend your time. I'm working on that as well, uh, especially now that they're on HBO Max. Thank God they added the Criterion Collection because they have you know Yojimbo, Seven Samurai, the the Samurai Saga. They have a bunch of um, or the Samurai Trilogy. They have a bunch of um, the Lone Wolf and Cub movies. Super stoked on that. Hidden Having Fortress. a new- is Hidden Fortress on there? I think it is. Okay. And that's 40, 47 Ronin, I believe, is on there. There's a bunch. Oh. And all the Godzilla films. But watching something that heavily dubbed is really hard to do with a newborn. So <laughs> I'm a little behind where I wanted to be once HBO Max <laughs> came out. <laughs> Just Honestly, hey, brush brush up on your medieval Japanese. You'll you'll be fine. You won't have yeah. to you don't need subtitles. For sure, for sure. Uh let me get on that. also learning Japanese with a newborn, not easy. <laughs> <laughs> cool man this was awesome um yeah. yeah we'll 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 definitely we'll have to continue doing this let's see if we can get some other people on to talk about the the stuff they like and maybe we'll even do a part two because evidently an hour is not enough apparently not <laughs> cool man well it was good talking to you and uh yeah hopefully this will be up soon we'll see how it goes make it so engage This has been the Austin Otaku Podcast. To learn more about us and our show, to be a guest, or to subscribe to our show, go to www.austinotaku.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter.